and welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. I am Ben Standing, and yes, I do cover the Washington football team for the Athletic, which meant it's been a busy last few days, three days of the NFL draft. Uh, there's a lot going on uh, in, in, over on this end in terms of the, the writing, and that's why we didn't have a chance to uh, get a podcast done after any of the any of the day. So I appreciate everybody's patience, but I've got a great one for you today. I've got two guests. First up, he is one of the foremost uh, authorities on college football around. He's a colleague at the Athletic. I say colleague, but it's you know <laughs> it's a loose term in a certain sense. But technically, we are colleagues. Uh, Bruce Feldman, also part of Fox Sports, uh, you know, obviously a tremendous authority on the on on the. Uh, subject to college football throughout the NFL draft process. He was writing for the athletic about these prospects, including he did a profile on Jamin Davis after Washington drafted Sam Cosme. He wrote one on him. He's also talked to NFL executives and coaches about all these prospects leading into the draft. He wrote about that. And today he has a story up on the athletic about an intriguing 2022 quarterback. Because obviously that's going to be a, t- a conversation since Washington did not draft one. So great conversation with Bruce Feldman. Then we'll localize it a bit more with um, Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan. Got into a bunch of questions regarding uh, what did we think of the of the actual selection of Jamin Davis relative to the other position people on the board. We got into a little bit about the article that I have up on The Athletic about Washington's plan throughout the three days, including the fact that Dan Snyder was not front and center throughout that. And what does that mean? And I'll share my uh, thoughts on that. Or you can, of course, go read that on The Athletic. Uh, roster battles, holes that, that remain, all, uh, things like that. A fun conversation with Grant as well. We'll get to all that here in just a moment. But for now, I really appreciate you guys hanging with me here. We're back uh, for a podcast. If you have missed any of the podcasts, of course, you can go back and check them out on iTunes or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe. Um, I, as you recall, the only player I had directly on this podcast throughout this time was Jamin Davis. Um, not necessarily, uh, not 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 a coincidence. I mean, he was somebody that I identified throughout the process that would be interesting. Had heard the Washington was interested. Turns out they very much were. Um, so you can check that out. And of course, if you listen to the Greg Cosell podcast, Jamin Davis was somebody he talked about a great length when we discussed the linebacker. So you can check all that out. Again, subscribe to The Athletic as well. Uh, I, I wrote a ton over the weekend. Uh, I wrote about the uh, situation, you know, the, the drafting of Jamin Davis. Um, the, the, you know, what, what do we uh, take away from the, the picks? Uh, a, a lot to do, a lot there. I don't know how many bylines I had over the last few days, but it was a few. <laughs> it was a few. Um Anyway, so before we get into to these conversations, and I'm going to share a couple of notes with you guys here at the top that I didn't get into with those conversations, just want to, again, thank everybody so much. You guys have been great throughout this process, uh, supportive of the podcast, supportive of me personally on Twitter and, and, and talking about the mock drafts and all that. Um, uh, the, the, the mock draft was okay. Ultimately, I, I, you know, I think I'm going to share my thoughts on the mock draft process and what I learned about what I learned about it this time, both sort of like on a personal and professional level that hopefully you guys will find interesting, but we'll do that a little bit later on. Um, but anyway, you guys have been great. Everybody's been very kind leading, you know, with regards to the mock draft and all everything that was happening during the draft. And I truly appreciate it. 
uh, for 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 sure. Um, I, I wanted to get into a few notes here just to sort of sort of put a bow on on, on the the draft, uh, as it were. Um, let me get to uh, a couple of things here. So first of all, we'll, we'll, I'll talk more with about Jamie Davis with with Bruce and Grant. So I will I will won't belabor that one here. Obviously, I think their first four picks to me all made sense. Uh, obviously, Jamie Davis, the linebacker from Kentucky, Sam Cosme, offensive tackle from Texas, Minnesota cornerback Benjamin St. Just, and North Carolina wide receiver Deami Brown. I think all those picks made viable sense. Uh, I believe probably at least three of those guys we discussed here, at least even in, at least in passing. Don't know if I've really got into St. Just too much. Um, but, you know, obviously, Jamin Davis, we've talked before. They needed a three-down linebacker. It made total sense. Again, I'll get into more about him in, in, in a bit. With Cosme, look, everybody always says that they were the best player on their board, you know, and all that when they picked them. Now, I believe I – I know I wrote about this, and I believe it was discussed here as well, that I think he was – if they had traded down in the first round, I had been told that he was somebody they might consider, you know, in that late first, early second round range, and, and I do believe that is – the, the, the case that they considered him to be sort of a an early an early second type of player a second round type of player but like if they had moved down and some of the other players that on their board weren't there he could have been somebody they would have potentially targeted there so um, you know one reason it made sense to go linebacker first offensive tackle second was it just felt like there were more offensive tackles in the same general range on the board from say 25 to you know 51 than perhaps at linebacker, even though there's some linebackers as well. Uh, Cosme is incredibly athletic. I, you know, we'll see. I'm not, you know, it, it, Ron Rivera said there'll be a battle, or he didn't say a battle, sorry. He said he's going to play him at left tackle. We're all assuming there will be a competition involving him, Cornelius Lucas, at a minimum, maybe Sadiq Charles, we'll see. Um, I, I would probably guess, just based on what I heard, and we'll hear some of this from Bruce as well, that it, it, it you know, it, it may take a minute for Cosme to, uh, to, to get going a little bit of, of a project, but a very intriguing one um, as well. Now, uh, when I talked with Grant, we talked about holes on the roster. One thing that was discussed was free safety. That was one area they just really did not address. Um, what I, I, I've mentioned Javon Holland from Oregon uh, before here, that he was a player who had talked to Washington during the pre-draft process, and that they had Nate Catcher speak with him. Um, and which I thought was interesting. I, Holland said this at his pro day interview, and I asked him a question about that. And I thought that was interesting because when you look at his background, he's also a, a, a significant punt returner. And that seemed like a potential real two-for-one scenario. Unfortunately for Washington, he went off the board early in round two, as did another safety um, that, I, that they were looking at. In any event, the board just didn't fall that way. You know, what is it's the way... It's the way that it that it goes. Um, you could say the same thing, I guess, for quarterback. Grant and I talked about this a bunch, so I won't get into it. But basically, look, in the second round, they obviously had a chance to draft any of the three day two quarterbacks that they wanted. They were all sitting there at 51, and they passed. That ultimately tells you how they ranked them on their board relative to at least Sam Cosme, if not other players. I'm sure if it was within five picks of Sam Cosme, maybe even 10, they're taking the quarterback. Would have to therefore therefore imagine they weren't that close to taking them. Which again, not a surprise. You've been listening to me talk about this. I'll talk more about this with Grant um, in a second. Um, 
I talked about Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa with, with Bruce a bit. I don't know why he fell, to be honest, but Bruce will share his thoughts. I was surprised he was as well. Um, as for the day three guys, you know, John Bates, the tight end from Boise State. Uh, Derek Foster, Forrest, sorry, I keep saying that. Derek Forrest, the safety from Cincinnati. Um, Cameron Cheeseman, the long snapper from Michigan. Then you got a couple of pass rushers and then wrapped up the draft with Dax Milne, one of uh, Zach Wilson's uh, receivers from BYU. Uh, more to discuss on these guys. No need to, to force it. We can include also in here Buffalo running back Jared Patterson, who was going to be uh, a UDFA that they added. At the moment that I'm talking to you, Sunday night, he's the only UDFA that that, that they have, but he's an interesting one. Uh, go look at his 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 game log from this year. He had, in two games, he had over 700 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns in back-to-back weeks. Insane production there, but he went undrafted. Um, so we'll get to more of these day three guys. I think what st- just stood out to me, and I wrote about this on The Athletic um, after the third day, was just that, you know, they... <laughs> It was such a funny draft. The first four picks I thought were conventional and effective. We'll see how the players perform. But in terms of the strategy and the logic behind them, all made all made sense. Um, for you know, I think you guys understand why. Uh, the only one for me was not debatable in terms of the player, but the position as a receiver. But Grant and I will get into that a bit more. You've heard me talk about it to a degree. Um, but to draft in three consecutive picks, a tight end who GM Martin Mayhew described as a blocking, as more of a blocker. A safety in Forrest, who everybody was talking about as a special teams player, and then an actual long snapper, who granted, they need one of those. But yeah, that, that that's just really fascinating to combine that with the fact that Dan Snyder was not involved in the draft, as far as I can tell. Um, that was part of the story. I'll talk about more of this with, with Grant, but essentially, you know, what I was told was, um, you know, he, but he was, you saw on TV, he wasn't there. Um, he, uh, was kept in the loop by Rivera. This is according to uh, a source familiar with the situation and, you know, was supportive of what they were doing, but wasn't, you know, this was not a Dwayne Haskins situation. This was not a Bryce Love situation, which was more of a Bruce Allen thing. Um, you know, this was the football people running the football show. And I think that's notable. Again, I don't want to keep saying, oh, I talked about Grant, but I did, we'll, we'll get, we'll get into more of that. So more to, more to focus on with these day three players. I just will say, I always mention, especially when you get to day three, I want to draft players who have a shot to make the roster, at least by position, which isn't to say that you have to do it, but what's the point of drafting somebody when it's just hard to see how that's going to happen? Well, when you have 10 picks, then that becomes a lot harder. And the reality is, you know, it's hard to see how, say, a guy like a Dax Milne makes the 53-player roster based on the receiver's um, that 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 exists but the two pass rushers i think there's room for them the long snapper obviously the tight end of course um, and you know the safety special teams player as well so i think for the most part they've got an opportunity to have a you know the majority if not all of these guys make the team again it's hard to see how the receiver does but i'm intrigued to see um what he can do obviously you know played for a high profile quarterback in zach wilson and now he's going to get a chance to play with ryan fitzpatrick um, all right, so again, lots uh, lot, lots to consider. We'll get into more in the days ahead about these players specifically. Maybe we'll even see if we can get somebody on the podcast 
with me uh, to, to talk about that. Um, I'll just lastly say, um, hopefully it doesn't come across this way, but super, super tired. Uh, not a lot of sleep the last few days. Not That's not a uh, woe is me or whatever. It's just the reality of the situation. Even just talk, talking to you right now, I'm feeling a bit uh, tired, but I'm not going to have any coffee anymore. Drinking coffee at 7, 8, 9 o'clock the last few nights kept me wired. No need for that at this point. Excited, though, for you guys to be wired about these interviews I've got. We'll start with Bruce Feldman, and then we'll get into Grant Paulson here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Um, excited. Uh, excited. Welcome on our next guest. Would have wanted to have him on regardless, but it's kind of fortuitous with, rega- with regards to some of the people he's been writing about recently in regards to the Washington football team. He just profiled Jamin Davis and Sam Cosme and a quarterback we all may be talking about heading into the 2020 draft. He is the Athletics uh, senior college football writer, and therefore a colleague, Bruce Feldman. Uh, Bruce, man, I really appreciate it. How, uh, how are you feeling? We're talking post draft. Are you able to uh, get 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 off? You know, re- relax a little bit and uh, get back to life. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, this is I've always been kind of one of these draft geeks who loves it, especially just being on the college football side. It makes it um, it's interesting to hear how NFL people evaluate um, and come look at it through a much different lens or maybe a, a, a bigger microscope than you do in college where he's like, Oh, I thought we all thought that guy was supposed to be pretty good. And then they're like, no, he's, you know, he's really stiff or he's this or that. And, and so it's interesting to hear those things and to see them, um, and to get maybe a, a little better picture on who the guys you've been covering and where they fit and see what the NFL thinks. They're not always right either, but you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a different lens. Yeah, for sure. One of the many things that you did, it, it, it was like I said, it was just funny how things kept lining up. I kept seeing articles on the site. Oh, okay. Jamie Davis is somebody I really looked at a ways back. And then you were the one that that, that, that wrote it. I do a uh, sort of like a, a draft notebook, both for the local team, but also broadly talking to scouts, agents, GMs, whatever, about getting the inside of who, you know, what's the buzz out there. You did a very similar thing uh, talking to NFL coaches uh, and, and a lot of other people around the league to get a sense of these players. So I just, over and over again, I just kept reading. I was like, oh yeah, I want to read that article. And you were the one that that, that did it. Um, Before we get into to, to Washington guys, I am just sort of curious, since you mentioned, it's interesting to hear what the coaches think or other people in the league think, since you did do that whole story about um, getting insight from people around the league on these players, you did a mock draft as well, very detailed with, uh, with with that what, what was the what was the maybe as the draft unfolded what was the thing for you that you were like oh yeah that's kind of what somebody said to me and this sort of played out and what was something you're like ooh, that's was maybe different than what people were kind of su- suggesting this one's really on the micro level like I think it was at some point yesterday I there was a pick that just kind of flashed up on my screen and I told my wife I was like whoa and it was basically the Chargers taking Josh Palmer a receiver from Tennessee and so um, I don't know what part of the process, like I went on a run of talking to receivers coaches, but at one point, Josh Palmer, who I was very, I was familiar with, I don't say I was very familiar. I knew he played at Tennessee, felt like he was there forever. Um, and this particular coach was started telling me stuff about things he had seen on film, very positive. At one point I was like, you know, let's not go too far down into this. It was like, I think they were hoping he would not he would fall to them in the third round or so. And then the next day I talked to a different receivers coach who really liked Josh Palmer and went into detail. And then the next, like two days later, another guy I talked to was like, yeah, they had really bad quarterback play. And it was kind of bad, you know, it's like, 
And this is a guy who I think NFL position coaches like more than scouts. And so I went back to the original coach I talked to and said, hey, I'm going to have to go a little further in on him with some of the stuff you told me because you're not alone. A lot of your colleagues really like him too. It's no like secret. And so one of the guys I talked to was like, they ended up drafting him, right? And um, so it was kind of interesting to hear that lens. Um, somebody else I talked to, this is, I mean, it's regional fit for, for where you are. Um, there was a, a defensive coach I talked to who was like, don't put this guy in there. But he was like, we're really hoping he, we're going to try to sign him as a free agent. And it's a guy who played at Marshall, who started out at Virginia Tech, Devontae Beckett who is not a measurables guy at all. He's short. He didn't run a great 40 time. I don't think he really had a great approach to pro day, but he's super instinctive. And I, I had to go coach my son's like baseball team after the draft. And I came home and I was like, sure enough, the Lions signed to Montevideo, just like they said that. I was like, they're either going to sign this guy or they're going to try to uh, try to like adopt him. Cause they, they like that, <laughs> you know, you hear some teams go really, really, like certain guys um and it's not surprising and then there's other ones where you sit there and see and there's a few things i don't know like especially coming from the college side of college reporting where you maybe are like all right i'm not going to put this out there but you hear of something and you keep it in the back of your head and people are like why is this guy falling and you're like okay well i know this guy was taken off somebody's draft board i don't know exactly what the reason was but their security people took player x off the draft board draft board and that's why I think he's probably falling or, or different things like that, that you kind of, you know, you talk to enough people and you start getting wind of certain things, not to say that they're always right or always accurate, but um, it's just interesting to hear those kinds of things. Yeah. And, and that's, what's, it, it's interesting. I get some attention for some mock draft success I had uh, in these various national contests. And when I first started doing all that stuff, I mean, I didn't have a source. I couldn't spell source. I was the proverbial blogger, doing my own thing but as i've gotten more into this and now covering an actual team and start to now actually being able to talk to coaches gms whatever now there's too many people in my head and and part of this thing is having to sift through what you're doing now the type of story that you were kind of working on you're not having necessarily to figure out fact from fiction if people tell you x you're gonna put it in the story for the most part i would imagine um but in terms of like for yourself trying to determine wait is this person telling me something that is actually real or are they trying to snow me in some way positively or negatively or, or like what's the motivation sometimes when people are saying what they're doing it is a fascinating aspect of this and and it, and it plays out in the draft world where you see why like you said some guys falling like just to, for example like christian darris out the, the offensive tackle virginia tech was a player that was on the in the discussion here the whole time they needed a left tackle the local kid seemed like he would be in that range there were points where it looked like maybe he was going to go ahead of washington really even up until the last couple of days. But I had heard throughout from people that, eh, I don't know about his tape. There's some questions about his, you know, snap to whistle play. And then uh, some other people like said they didn't love the way he looked at his pro day, things like that. And I did mention some of that along the way, but it wasn't until the end that it really kind of felt like this is a thing. And so for the first time when I did my last mock, I slipped him past Washington, something I wouldn't have thought I would have done at any point in the last two months. And you just had to sort of figure out why and it, so it's 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 an interesting part of this game i always find is to have to figure out when people are telling you stuff what is what's what's real what do you believe or even if they're telling you the truth it just may not be it's, it's the truth as they see it which is not necessarily the same thing as being accurate or it's not their decision right like i i talked to for this story uh on the athletic probably a week ago and they were essentially all position coaches not all of them but most of them 
And it's like, yeah, they could have it, some influence, but they're not the decision maker. You know, like I have a, a guy I've been friends with longer than he was in the NFL and he is good at his job, but I don't think he has, like, if he loves somebody at his position, I don't know, it better line up with everything for him to get that kid, especially if it's in the first or second round, it just usually doesn't, doesn't work that way. So um, to see one of these guys get their guy, I remember I just like sent the other guy, um, like the, the, the muscle flex arm emoji to him. And I was just like, he shot right back to me. It was because we talked about him, but it's just like, I think that was a rarity. I don't think it usually happens like that. <laughs> um, well, well, let's get into one of the guys you did write about. You wrote a, uh, the, a really good profile on Jamin Davis, like two, three weeks, give or time something like that. I, I've lost track of all time. I, I think today is Sunday, but I'm not even sure about, about that. But you wrote that uh, several weeks in advance. Um, and like I said, at that point, I was already starting to, I'd already heard at that point that Washington was interested in him. Ironically, around that same time, I was actually lining up to get Jamin Davis on my podcast. He was the only college player I had on directly. Um, so I was really interested in that. And I'm just sort of curious, you know, for your takeaways, I guess sort of one, how is it that, uh, you know, people, even somebody at your level can't maybe always decide what story you want to write yours other people have the interest as well so i'm curious what drew you to jamin davis sort of initially and then what were your takeaways about him as such an interesting player the guy that nobody was talking about in the first round two months ago now became the 19th pick in the draft yeah so i mean for me so i did that story you mentioned the mock draft piece and it was probably i started working i don't know for two months ago or maybe two and a half months ago and one of the things that went with it was I talked to, you know, a ton of college coaches about guys, what they see and everything. And um, there was a few stories that kind of spiraled out of it, meaning like, oh, I got to work on this after I'm done with with the mock draft or I'm done with it. And one of them was a, one of them was like you mentioned, Darisel. I talked to coaches in the ACC about him and the name they kept coming up with was a guy who was like, who's the NC State kid they kept on talking about? And I was like, there's no NC State offensive lineman in the draft. And it turned out there isn't because he's going to, he might be in the draft next year. He's a second year sophomore who's this super physical kid who just mauls people. And so I was like, all right, that's a story I can work on. Well, on the flip side or on the defensive side, Jamin Davis's name started to come up a bunch from SEC people. And when one of the Kentucky coaches I talked to said, you know, he got like a fourth or a fifth round evaluation. I was like, really? And he still, and they were like, there's no way he's going to go that late because he's got really good film from this year and he is going to blow up his pro day. He's just going to wow people. And um, one of the guys I know at Kentucky, John Sumrall is his position coach. And so I've known him for a while and we talked about that and he said, he is training with Micah Parsons. Um, you know, Micah Parsons is one of the guys he's training with at the same place. And he was like, from what I heard, he's doing everything the same thing Micah Parsons is. Well, I've written about a bunch about Micah Parsons for the last two years. I know he is a super freak athlete. And if Jamin Davis is, is in line with that, he's going to blow people away. And so, um, and he did it like, so I do the story and then I don't know the, the pro day is about to happen. He goes four, three, seven, his verticals 42. And it's like, when I talked to him, he, he thought he was going to broad jump 11, six. I mean, he still broad jumped 11 feet, but just, you know, those are insane numbers for anybody, much less a linebacker is almost six, four and 235 pounds. And what was fascinating was when you get into his story, 
Um, he was 195 pounds from, from South Georgia when Mark Stoops, that's head coach of Kentucky, uh, saw him and wanted him and like, hey, we're going to roll the dice on him. It's not like Georgia or Georgia Tech were trying to get him or any of the bigger SEC programs. He was an under-the-radar guy. He was a developmental guy. They took a chance. He had a really good spring in 2019, and they he was like the most improved player on their defense. They thought he was going to be really good in 2019, but he had a hamstring injury before the season. Sounded like it short-circuited him a little. He still played, but – and then going into last year, the guy they expect to be the Mike linebacker, who's a good player, Chris Oates, you know, sadly, he suffers a stroke, and – you know, his recovery is really slow. And it's, you know, that part of it is a sad side of the story. They end up moving. Jamin Davis takes over Mike and he just makes plays all over the field. And, you know, look, this is a total upside guy um, in terms of best footballs ahead of him. I know some people look at him going, he's a one-year wonder. He may be in that, but he's a one-year wonder who did it in the SEC on a schedule where there were no like, you know, he's not playing one double A teams or any of that. Right. I mean, he's going. And so, you know, you got to like that. And he can play a lot of different positions. Like they talk about how versatile he is. He's a military, you know, kid from a military family. The dad was in the military. The mom was in the military. Um, just he's really he's an interesting kid. Yeah. You know, when, when people have asked, like I said, I mean, I, I, I part of it, I'm trying to figure out what, what's going to happen with Washington. So I'm not studying the guys who are going to go top five to that degree. I'm trying to focus more on that, but at the same point, doing mock drafts and other things, you know, try to figure out uh, what's going on with some of these players. And the one question when people said to me, like, what do you, what do you think of the pick? I'm like, well, it makes a lot of sense. Ron Rivera that he's talked a lot about wanting uh, an upgrade at linebacker. That, that's pretty obvious. This kid looks like he's, you know, he's, high, he's crazy athletic, three down potential, all that. The one wonder is, it was only the one year. And so, and, and you meant, you just mentioned that. And so that is what's sort of interesting. I, I, I don't necessarily fault. I don't fault the, the pick at all. It looks totally reasonable, but that's my only qu- question. Is there, it, it, I guess to that end, is there any sense when you were talking to, to, to anybody about any sort of skepticism of it is just the one year. I mean, I know, like you said, it's not like he was doing it against any bad teams, but is there any kind of skepticism on that? Not really. Here's the thing I would I would use to flip it. And this is not to demean the other two guys, but like Jamar Chase was essentially a one year wonder. I mean, I think Jamar Chase is a great receiver. I think he's going to be a great receiver. Jamar Chase had a, had a, had a pretty good freshman year at, at LSU, but it wasn't like he had a great year. He had an amazing 2019 and then he opted out. Zach Wilson would be a one year wonder. He was like, he had his moments in 2019, but he played hurt and they weren't, you know, it wasn't great in 2019. He had a great 2020 against, you know, much less competition because unfortunately for BYU's sake, they could not schedule power five opponents. Zach Wilson went with the second pick in the draft. So there's a bunch of guys who fit into the one year wonder category. If you're going to, if you're going to try to ding Jamin Davis on it, Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of an unfortunate reality of, of where we are, not just you have the pandemic, you have how college football is sometimes. There are guys who fit into that, though. And it's not just, you know, you're like, okay, where was the production in 20 in uh, 2019? It's like, there's other guys you can make that case, you know, point about too. Right. I, I guess as I'm thinking about it, as you're saying, it, I guess with it, the difference is with Dr. Jamar Chase is 
he has been in terms of this draft has been projected to be a first round pick and a high one for some time. Whereas you said, the advisory committee is telling Jamin Davis, you're like a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, Ron Rivera was asked something about the idea of Jamin Davis being this, you know, late riser. And he's like, well, just because the people in the media didn't know that doesn't mean it was the truth. And I kind of wanted to be like, uh, <laughs> the advisory committee yeah. said he was a fourth or fifth round pick. So I, I guess maybe that's it. Like you only have one chance to make a first impression. And the first impression many people had was this guy's like a day two or three pick. And why are we talking about him in the first? But so maybe that perception is more of the issue than the one year uh, aspect of it. Yeah, um, I think I think they were late to the party is all, you know, and I think you're, you know, that's the thing. And look, sometimes it works this way. And hopefully for Washington's sake, it's going to work out really well. I mean, I think the people who've worked with them are like, hey, bet on the bet on the military kid who's got great length and great athleticism and see where he fits. Is he you know, like there are some some aspects of his game where like Nick Bolton is a linebacker who's also played in that same division. You know, he was at Missouri. He's a different kind of linebacker, does not have the same length, is not as explosive an athlete, but is more like the alpha personality who's going to get everybody lined up. You know, like I know I, one of the coaches I talked to would have rather seen if Jamin had that quality or Monty Rice was another guy, the Georgia linebacker who had that. Um, but nobody's checking off every box, you know, like there's a lot of stuff. I think Michael Parsons could be a potential hall of famer if it all goes well, but there's some things he does not do that some of these other guys do. It's just, you know, it's like, look, I, I would, I would ride with a guy who played linebacker in the NFL and, you know, has, I think some probably has a good feel for what he's getting in Jamin Davis. Gotcha. Um, before we get to some of the other prospects, I am just sort of curious about this and this sort of connects to the, the idea of the story you wrote where you're talking to people in advance. Uh, the, the three prospects that I, I was talking about the most for Washington in 19 without knowing exactly, obviously, who would be there, Jamin Davis, I mentioned Christian Derisaw, but the other one was Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa from Notre Dame, who is a linebacker, sort of in name only, this hybrid athlete. We've talked about him a bunch. He obviously doesn't even go 19. He slips all the way out of the first round into the second round. And there were questions I heard from some people. He's obviously a very uh, small, you know, I mean, they're light. You know, he, he bulked up to 221. For, for his pro day. And, and I heard scouts and others say, you have to have a plan for him. You can't just draft him the way you probably could Jamin Davis and say, you're going to be the middle linebacker, go there. You have to figure out how you're going to deploy him. I'm curious, based on whatever you heard pre-draft, were you surprised that he fell out the way that he did, uh, I, I guess? Yes, I am. He was, to me, the biggest surprise of a, of a guy who fell. The coaches I talked to loved him. Um, yes, he does not have you know, great size, but he has great change of direction. He is great in coverage. A lot of those, like this NFL fits him. Um, there were two guys who kind of are, are, I didn't want to put them in the same boat because they're different body types, but they're both great coverage linebackers. It was him and Jabril Cox who came out of LSU, but initially had played at North Dakota state. Jabril Cox is longer and he's more looks like a linebacker in terms of like the traditional one but Jabril Cox is not physical or at least on his film was not physical the way Usu Karamoa is but just the question is you know this guy is probably 15 pounds lighter um, and he's shorter and he's smaller but I think he's just a playmaker and I, if I'm Cleveland that was one of my favorite picks or at least value picks in the in the first two days of just getting a guy there um, you know I think have a plan for him, but you're going to need to, you know, like this is a guy who will be really good at what he does. And I suspect he'll be really good at what he does for 10 years. Right. So 
Um, wouldn't shock me if he would have gone, to, you know, like to a place like Tampa or somebody where they're just going to let him run um, and make plays and he'll be a force on special teams and he'll be a big factor on third downs and probably some second and long. So yeah, he was one I was surprised he didn't end up there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I don't know exactly where Washington was on him. So I, I, maybe there's no issue for them. But like for us, I think we're all going to be comparing Jamin Davis and Awuzo Karamoa as they go through their careers just to see how it unfolds. Um, all right, let's go to some other uh, some other people here. You obviously know a lot of these guys. So again, I I, I go <laughs> I, I go check out the Athletic over the weekend, and it is oh, there's a, in my timeline on the Washington page. There's an article on Sam Cosme, the, the tackle from Texas that they pick in the second round. Also, your byline, and it, and and. I mean, I'd already had, I'd been paying attention to him a little bit, but when you have the, in the headline, one of the draft's freakiest athletes, if I said, okay, that, that tag is going to be on somebody Washington drafted, people might assume it's Jamin Davis. Maybe you might think it's uh, Diami Brown, the dynamic receiver they took out of Carolina. Maybe this kid, Derek Foster, or Forrest, sorry, the safety out of Cincinnati, who's got all the uh, athletic uh, traits. No, we're talking about an offensive tackle who can who runs really fast, like, you know, for, for a 300 plus pounder. So to, what's your, what's your sense of, of, of Sam Cosme and um, both as an athlete, but I guess more importantly, as an actual player going to the NFL. He's an interesting, like, I don't want to say he's a project, but he is a, a guy who was not a big recruit for Texas when they evaluated him. That was like 60 pounds ago. Uh, he got there, he got, he got bigger. He had two different line coaches over the time there. Herb Hand was the guy he spent most of his time with. And Herb Hand has had some guys who he said reminded him of this kid. Braden Smith is one of them who's now a guard in the NFL. He had him at Auburn. But he's just said um, in terms of he's very athletic. And now there is a little bit of stiffness to him. But this is a guy who at 315 pounds ran 485 and had a really good, quick 10-yard split. Uh, he also benched two and a quarter, uh, almost 40 times. And the one thing that Herb pointed out to me was he goes, he had a plan. And it was like, this kid trained like a pro. He said he's first generation. He's got that work ethic from his parents. And there were things where he was like, he's really durable. You never had to worry about him being, quote, nicked up where he wanted to be out for a play or out for a series. You could count on him. And he goes, I think he kept on getting better. Like there were moments where, he got Kalen Von Chase on, who's, who was a first-round pick for Jacksonville. Two years ago, they played – in 2019, they played LSU. And there were some moments where Kalen Von Chase on got the best of them, but there was also moments in that game where, where Sammy Cosme got the best of Chase on. So I think, he's a, I think he's a good player. It's kind of – this is kind of where I thought he would go. There's some stuff I think they need to clean up with him technique-wise. Um, you know, I, I don't – I, I could see in terms of the work ethic and all the stuff that's there, him developing into a really good player, but there's probably going to be some things that they need to, so they need to like clean up a little bit with him. But I just think in terms of what he has athletically and what he has work ethic wise, um, that bodes well. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit of, of a project. So Washington, like their needed offensive tackle, is like a long-term need. They, 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 they finished off the year with uh, Cornelius Lucas kind of came in and, and, and solidified things late in the year. They also drafted Sadiq Charles last year at LSU. He literally played two snaps at guard, but he had injuries before, and then he had a dislocated kneecap. He was out, so he's in there somewhere. So they don't need Cosme right away. I guess based on what your sense of him, like 
if we're saying he's there's a tackle competition, how much do we think he realistically could come in and compete for the week one job, or is it probably more of a, or is it more of a, eventually he can he can kind of get there. I think eventually he can get there. Like I was around Sadiq Charles a bunch. If Sadiq Charles is is right off the field, he has a potential to be really good. I mean, he's a like he's a first day, first round kind of talent. It's just I think there was you know some maturity and some focus issues when he was at LSU. If he gets that sorted out, I think he and he keeps developing, he could be a really good one down the road. I think I think you could have good competition here because of the of the focus and I think the determination you have of Cosme and and some of the stuff that I think he needs to get cleaned up. So I think that I think that's good to have in the O line room for certain. Um, all right, so uh, Washington ended up drafting ten guys. I'm not going to ask you about all, about all ten, but also on day two they drafted Benjamin St. Juice, cornerback from Minnesota, and Deami Brown, a wide receiver from North Carolina. Day three, some names that are interesting, perhaps uh, Shaka Tony, defensive end out of at, at a Penn State. I mentioned Derek Forrest before a safety out of Cincinnati. Uh, and at the end of the draft, they took Dax Milne, who was one of the Zach Wilson's top receivers at, at BYU. Um, any of any of those guys or somebody else I meant, did mention, they also drafted a long snapper. I don't know if you have big thoughts on that. Uh, but uh, but uh, a, 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 any one of those guys kind of stand out to you as you were kind of going through this process? St. Just is interesting to me. Um, my TV crew, we did their opener at Minnesota. They played South Dakota State two years ago. And so the cornerback coach he had then, Rod Chance, who's now at Oregon, I know him pretty well. And he was like, this is a really, really potentially big time guy. He had transferred from Michigan. He's a Canadian kid. He's about six, three. And he goes, he's got really good change of direction and better. You know, he's more fluid than people think. He goes, I think his ceiling is really high. He's a guy who had the short, short shuttle, like three, nine, six. Um, he's, you know, he was like, my nickname for him was stretch Armstrong. He thinks, you know, if he can get some of the consistency stuff cleaned up, uh, he thinks he just for that length, he said he's got pretty rare movement ability and Rod Chance is around some good corners at Oregon right now. And he was like, this kid's talented. So I think he was a really, I think he was a good pick for where he was. Deami Brown, when I did the, the draft story a week ago, some of the receivers coaches were like, there's, there's some things there where it's like, you look at it and you're like, everybody knows what he's doing and he still gets on the top of people. He is just really explosive there's some stuff there that is just um, unpolished and raw. And I don't know if, and I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but like when Will Fuller came out of Notre Dame, I don't know, five years ago, I remember talking to a scout who was just like, this is a guy where you know what he's doing and he still ends up behind everybody. And that's what Deami Brown kind of is. Um, so, like again i think he's in a good room i was around uh, terry mclaurin some when he was at ohio state i think like that's a good young player for him to be around and and i think deami brown has a chance i mean again he's not um there's there's some issues not I issues but there's some stuff where i just think that he went probably um i don't know like i i I think he's a very intriguing player. I could see him being a, a good big play man and stretch the field guy. I just, you just wonder how consistent he, he's going to be early in his career. Yeah. When I looked up his stats, he averaged 20 yards in each of the last per catch in each of the last two seasons. I tweeted out uh, <laughs> like, has that ever happened before? And I, and I purposely tagged a friend of mine who's a, who works for uh, 
the basketball reference site, but I knew he would possibly look it up. And he looked it up. And since 2000, nobody else has done that in consecutive years. I think James Washington at Oklahoma State had done it twice in his career, but not consecutive. So as a playmaker, he's obviously uh, pretty interesting. Um, last question for you. So one thing Washington did not do in this draft, they did draft a long snapper, didn't draft a quarterback. And so while they have Ryan Fitzpatrick, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke on the roster, there's no obvious long-term answer, which means we're going to be talking all all year about the 2022 draft in relation to quarterbacks being available. And this notion of who the hell knows, you know, it's a bad class, whatever, stop people that's insane as you mentioned before nobody was talking about zach wilson a year ago in the first round he goes to mac jones wasn't even considered to be alabama's i don't think like obvious week week one starter or you know he wasn't considered to be uh, some high pick he goes uh 15 and so we don't know there are some names out there sam howe from north carolina keep if i'm saying it's right keep on slow with usc i, I kind of liked him a little bit but you, again, being it's fortuitous, I look at The Athletic today and I encourage everybody to go read this article. You talk about a guy who might be, I don't know if we're saying he's the Trey Lance of this year, but like a year ago this time, Trey Lance was kind of nowhere. And then he became um, this guy everybody talked about. And you you talk about here, a guy who I'll let you introduce, who may be the kind of this year's version of that, a, a 2022 guy to keep, an eye, to keep an eye on. So tell us about this quarterback and also, the idea of these quarter this quarterback class as you kind of see it yeah so the Malik Willis is at Liberty started his career at Auburn and the ironic thing is people at Auburn thought he can't throw very well well you talk to coaches who faced him you've talked to NFL people who now like heard about him and like when they look at the tape on this guy and they're like he has a cannon for an arm so the idea that he couldn't throw was kind of puzzling to people to hear that now um Quincy Aver who's a quarterback coach who's worked with Deshaun Watson he's worked with uh Dwayne Haskins at one point he certainly has worked he worked a lot with Trey Lance who by the way Trey Lance had the strongest arm of any of the quarterbacks in this class Quincy Avery said told me this weekend that Malik Willis has the strongest arm he's ever seen and so Malik Willis is about 6'1 220 and can really run he is a dynamic runner and so uh, as I worked on this story for The Athletic over the week, um, I talked to Chad Staggs, who's the defense coordinator at Coastal Carolina. And he, he by the way, um, his team held Zach Wilson's team this year to 17 points. He was like, this kid, Malik Willis, single-handedly beat us. Malik Willis ran for four touchdowns against them, and they beat them in the bowl game. And he, like I said, he is very interesting talent because, as you know, NFL is liking mobile quarterbacks more and more. This kid can really run. Is he Lamar Jackson as a runner? I don't know if he's quite that. He might be. Um, it's really it's really interesting because he has a huge arm and has a ton of velocity on his throws. There's some stuff where I, Quincy Avery gave the last line in the story. And I said, what is it going to take? Because he thinks he should be the, the Zach Wilson of the 2022 draft. And he said... If he just takes what's there and doesn't try to make the Superman plays, he goes, because he's going to make those things anyway, but he doesn't really try to make them too much because I think he's going to have a special year. And so, um, as you mentioned in that class, you know, we talked about De'Ami Brown. Obviously, there's a bunch of skill guys in the draft from North Carolina. Sam Howell is going to be a third year, third year uh, junior. He's 
when I first saw him in high school, he reminded me a little bit of Baker Mayfield. Like he doesn't have great height and great size, but he, he moves pretty well and he throws it really well. And he's in a, he's in a kind of a different kind of offense. It's a version of the air raid. I think he's one people are definitely looking at. You mentioned Keaton Slovis at USC. Keaton Slovis uh, throws it well. People like him. He does have a little bit of an injury history to be concerned about. There's a quarterback at Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter, who has good size, and he's definitely one to watch. Carson Strong at Nevada is another one to keep an eye on. There are some guys out there, again, but I think the buzz that is starting to build a little bit on Malik Willis, just because the arm and the running ability are unique. Like those other guys aren't that, you know, Desmond Ritter can run. Um, this guy's a little different. And like I said, the arm is huge. So, you know, a term you'll hear from time to time with quarterback coaches is toolsy. Well, that's what this guy is. Now, does it translate? Does he see the field? Well, how well is he going to read defenses? Um, he's in a very RPO heavy offense right now, but if you freeze the coach there was like, we have him reading a lot of uh, stuff post snap and he's really good with his decisions. So we'll see where he ends up. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, just because this class doesn't have a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who we've been talking about for three years, doesn't mean there won't be guys who we will be talking about over the next several months and leading into the 2022 uh, draft. Um, go read Bruce's article about, um, Mr. Willis over on the athletic, go, go follow him or go, go watch him on Fox sports. And of course, go follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB Bruce. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Now we're going to get into some specific topics following the NFL draft. Normally you would think logically you would do this with somebody that's like a real football guy, but instead we're going to bring in a noted baseball analyst, Grant Paulson, dude. Like we've already talked about this a little bit off air, but like before we talk about the draft, you you, you basically missed day uh, the third day of the draft, or maybe even the second day too, because you got the call up to the majors and we're like on Maston on TV at the Nats game, sitting in the analyst seat. Very crazy. Didn't make any sense to me, and I was thrilled about it, and I wasn't going to say no, but yeah, it was an honor. Thanks to the Nationals and Maston and whoever else had a hand in it, but. Yeah, I was a co-pilot. Dan Colco on play-by-play. I got to call color commentary for back-to-back Nats games and wins. And I guess now I retire 2-0, batting 1,000, so to speak. But yeah, I got the late call out of the bullpen. And I had to play catch-up afterwards because quite literally, while the draft was going on, I was on the air providing color commentary for a Major League Baseball game, which has not quite yet sunk in. I I bet not. I'm sure you're going to talk about it a bunch on your radio show. So I won't step on that, but I guess let me just ask, I'm just curious about this. We all wonder about like how, how that job works. Like, even if it's just like, even if it's things like, Hey, how do they go to the bathroom? Like what, what, what's the one thing that now that you've done it, you're like, Oh, I never, I never thought about that. Or that's how that works or what, 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 whatever. Is there anything, is there anything that sort of stood out to you about, uh, about that? That's a great question. I would say honestly, just how much, more involved and probably important to the whole process not that you don't already know this but the behind the scenes producer director like they are the entire show i mean you know bob's tremendous and fp santangelo is a very quality color commentator and dan does a, a pro job here in his first week but so much of that show is kind of done and provided and and kind of 
put together before you even sit down and, and you kind of have the easiest job. You watch baseball, you talk about what you're seeing, but you know, they're sliding in graphics around the points you're making. They're grabbing shots of the things you're talking about. Uh, a lot of things are very different with the pandemic right now that I think makes calling games a lot harder. And I hope people know that while they're watching or listening, you know, specifically on the road, a lot of broadcasters are still sitting in their home ballparks or, or you know, facilities or what have you calling games off monitor luckily this was the homestand so the game was right in front of me that's really hard and these guys make it look really easy um so that's one thing and another thing i would say is there's so much less access right now and you know well about this as a beat writer and reporter ben but if you're a commentator like an fb or any of the other analysts in town craig lachlan drew gooden um and and d'angelo hall you normally have the ability to get out on the grass or on the floor and talk to guys or go into the locker room and get stories. And that just doesn't happen right now. You kind of jump in on zoom sessions, but the anecdotes and the nuggets, it's a really tough time. I think to, to get some of that creative organic content. And, uh, and so I just think the job right now is it's just different than it's ever been before. And hopefully people know that as they're watching or listening. Yeah, well, I mean, that's great that you had that experience. Congrats on that. Uh, that's a, Thank you. Know, you. Ho- hopefully you get another chance again. I, 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 was gonna... I just can't imagine how many people turned on the TV on one of those two days and said, you got to be bleeping kidding me. <laughs> I actually thought about, like, at the very beginning of the broadcast, being like, I can't believe it either, guys. You know, like, I just can't. I can't. I wanted to see the faces of people as they're like, wait, isn't this the dummy from the radio? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> well, Look, I, I don't want to start a controversy, but as I was listening uh, to today, you know, I, I don't know if I was supposed to call you Grant Pip or, or Wally Paulson, but very good job. Congrats. Congrats on the uh, on, on on that whole thing. Um, uh, all right. So you'll, you'll listen to go. You'll listen to 106.7. I'm sure Grant's going to talk about it a bunch and, and everything else that's going on with with this football team. But that's what we're going to talk about. Um, the, the draft is over. We've got some, I've got, I think like six topics here. We're going to get into things I haven't already discussed at the top, at the top of, of the, of the show with Grant. And even if he was focusing on baseball, he's going to have thoughts on these topics. Um, I almost don't want to start with this, but since I wrote it down first, I guess we'll just go with my list. They did not draft a quarterback. Now I would like to, before we even get into the idea of that, they didn't draft a quarterback. Like I would just like to say big pat on the back to people who said they weren't going to do this months ago and two of the people who did that were named uh, ben standing and grant paulson because i've tweeted about the i tweet i quote tweeted this uh the other day or uh, after round seven i found a tweet that you and i that i quote tweeted you like literally like within the hour or that day that they signed fitzpatrick to essentially say they're not going to do this that they're not you know without knowing exactly what's going the world's going to look like in x amount of weeks and on how the board will shake out you know you never know if mac jones or justin fields is literally just sitting there at 19 but barring that they're not actually going to do it and guess what they didn't so for all the people who just kept telling me they're going to do this this is what's going to happen you were wrong i just like to make well, that point <laughs> well i'll say this i mean at no point in my opinion all off season post fitzpatrick did they show interest in going to get a quarterback they clearly made it a priority at the start of the offseason. They wanted to upgrade at the position. They tried to trade for Matthew Stafford. We could go back through all of the specifics. The moment they acquired Fitzpatrick, who in his last 16 starts has thrown for 3,700 yards and uh, 27 touchdowns and 13 picks, 
the moment they did that, they put their chips in on him. And my thought was they kicked the can down the road the next year on a QB. Now it's time to surround Ryan Fitzpatrick with as many pieces and as many contributors that you can to try to win as many football games as you could this year. I believe Ron Rivera's logic was we messed around and kind of accidentally made the playoffs in year one at seven and nine. But now that we're here, I don't want to take a step back. I don't want to give people a chance if we went six and 10 with a young quarterback being developed to say that we're regressing the division while maybe not a top division in football is going to be a little bit better. The Giants have improved. The Cowboys get Dak back uh, just to name a couple of things that have happened. So I think that his plan was let's get a steadying influence so that the bottom doesn't fall out. Bring in Fitzpatrick. He will be an upgrade over what we got out of Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins last season. Taylor Heineke, the whole experience. And when you're now on the clock, get better. Add football players that help you. There was never, to me, a thought that they were going to draft a quarterback. And the last thing I'll say, Ben, is the draft in the first round actually felt really well for them to trade up if they wanted to. I mean, that, that's the thing to me that was so obvious was with Justin Fields falling out of the top 10, with Mac Jones not going three like everybody thought and falling all the way to 15, if they wanted either of those two guys, they could have gone up and gotten them. The price for the Bears who came up from behind them was a one, a four, and a five. That's bargain shopping if you think you're finding your franchise quarterback. But they either weren't that interested in Fields, weren't that interested in Mac Jones, or what I think was the case, just weren't that interested in addressing quarterback of the future to layer with Fitzpatrick. They wanted to add someone who could help them win football games sooner, and they did that. Right, and and so you said a lot of good things there. So just I, I found – I, I pulled up the tweet. So this is what you tweeted, then I quote tweeted, just to, just to go one point here, which you sort of just addressed, but to elaborate, you said, no, your first point was, no reason to draft a rookie quarterback now. You have three vets. You mentioned Fitzpatrick, but it wasn't just Fitzpatrick. If, the, if they, all they had was Fitzpatrick, well, just for purposes of playing football this season, maybe you argue you need another quarterback just to have somebody else. And even if you had Fitzpatrick and pick either Allen or Heineke, even then maybe you say, well, it wouldn't kill us to have a third guy regardless. And okay. We also don't have the long-term answer, but no, they had three guys that started games last year. And I'm not saying that Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen or all that, but it just because somebody isn't Aaron Rodgers doesn't mean they're not a viable player. Kyle Allen can play quarterback in this league. He gives you a puncher's chance. Taylor Heineke delivered the best starting performance, low bar, but best starting performance that any quarterback had on this team last year and showed enough in the playoffs for people to say, Oh, he's kind of interesting. You don't just take those guys and throw them out. Right. I mean, that does, that's not how this, that's not how it works logically. So there was no reason for them to force the hand. They have other areas on the roster where they don't have the equivalent of those players uh, where they needed more viable players to, to, to play. They have something again. Uh, I'm not suggesting that they don't have an issue still at long, the long-term uh, quarterback. Um, I was told that they, that of the five that went early, there was one that they were looking at and the, it just didn't fall the way they were hoping. I don't even know what I make of that though, because I'd reported that Fields was the guy they were more interested in Lance. As you said, Fields was there at 11, unless their, their view was we don't want to even trade it. We're not trading a future one, whether it's because the 2022 draft is, you know, it looks to be pretty, uh, 
very deep because so many guys stayed in school, whether it was for that or just like you said, I don't want to force this. We, we have something for this year. Whatever it was, they didn't do it. And again, you never know exactly how the world's going to look. But for the logical reasons that you just laid out and I laid out, it never made sense that they were going to do it. I'm almost annoyed that we wasted so much time having to, <laughs> having to talk about it to this degree other than just like basic due diligence. But we did it. And that's that. Uh, I will just also say that, like, um, uh, you know, again, I, I bring this point up all the time. You, just because you don't have a long-term answer now doesn't mean you can't buy next year, right? The Bears didn't have a long-term answer until they drafted Justin Fields. Well, guess what? If Washington does that next year, then they will have the long-term answer. You don't have to have it today. You can get it next time. Yeah, totally. And I think that it is their number one priority. Coming into the offseason, the priority was find a quarterback. Ideally, a long-term answer, but find a quarterback. They found a one-year solution in Ryan Fitzpatrick. They kicked the can to next season. And now, going into next season, they'll have to address the quarterback spot again. I think most people are assuming that means they have to draft someone. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, you look at the Rams as an example, bringing in Stafford. He is presumably their quarterback in the future. There are guys at times in this new wave NFL who get upset where they are. Now, I'm not saying that they'd be a major player for, say, a Deshaun Watson before all of the legal issues that he found himself in, but they called the Texans. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is furious. Again, I don't think they'd be a, a legitimate landing spot, but the point is just look at this year. Look at what's happened in the last two months, whether it's Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff. I mean, you're talking about a plethora of Pro Bowl caliber, playoff caliber quarterbacks who either got traded or wanted or want to be traded. These things happen, and it's only going to happen more and more in the NFL as players get more powerful. So if you can position yourself by building a really nice team, and they're doing that, having a strong defense, getting weapons that a quarterback wants to play with, Hugh Terry McLaurin and uh, Curtis Samuel and a receiving depth chart that got better this weekend with a big draft pick. I think that you can at least set yourself up if they want to go the route of a veteran to be in play. They've definitely done that. You can trade up the board, by the way. It's what I would probably do if you fall in love with the quarterback. Maybe it's a Robert Griffin type package with a, a few number ones. You, you, you made an interesting point. You said they may not have wanted to trade a one, perhaps. Then they didn't want a quarterback badly enough. You know, like I don't want to spend much money when I go buy a car. I don't, I don't have a choice and I can't buy a car. That's what it costs to trade up in the first round. There's no other way to do it. And it, frankly, it, might have cost less this year in the first round to trade up, as we saw, than it has in a long, long time. So just a few points I would make. I love what you say about the three quarterbacks as well. That was the other thing. You and I talked about this, if you remember. I don't remember if it was one of our many late-night conversations or if it was on air, but Allen, Heineke, Fitzpatrick, all three chosen by Rivera, all three chosen by the staff. It's not like they inherited some guy on their depth chart. They re-signed Heineke. They brought back Allen. They went and got Fitzpatrick. You don't do that for no reason. Like they like their three guys. And, and it is a little bit surprising to me that people just assumed that they were going to be so active in the first round. It wouldn't have shocked me if they took a guy in the second or the third. I kind of always thought that was you know, a possibility. It's not something I would have done. And I'm glad that they didn't, Frank. So, and, and this leads into the next point about what they actually did. But, you know, I think one thing that is frustrating as somebody who likes to talk about sports, who likes to listen to conversations, who writes about it, and obviously you have to deal with this all the time, is 
setting up false expectations for the audience who or whether they're listening to somebody or reading somebody or whatever it is you know you're trying to figure out what is happening and if the if the constant conversation is about something that is not realistic based on logic then when you do something that is functional like draft a three down linebacker that you actually need who you know was mel kuyper's 14th highest rated player on the board yet people are acting like taking jamin davis was a bad move now obviously i have no idea how his career will unfold and that's a different topic but like the idea, like I had like multiple people like ask me if I was surprised by it, which by the way, for the, for the record, when those people did that, it, I found that highly offensive because it indicated to me they've never listened to my podcast or read my, anything I wrote. I, I literally had Jamie Davis. I literally Ben standing today, just going after people. I literally had Jamie Davis in my Wednesday three-way mock draft as the pick for Washington. And people are like, were you surprised? I'm like, anyway. But like, so that, so yeah. People got lives to live, bro. They, they can't just be glued to everything. Uh, you know, you pick your, you know, just. Uh, I like it, salty Ben Standing today. This is good. You, you only have to, you only have to, you know, you don't have to read everybody. Just, you know. Just or, one. You, you just don't have to read list everybody. Just, you know, you just be, you know, be, be discerning. Um, all right. So all that said, Washington did pick Jamin Davis. Now I think, as you know, it was a name that was obviously been discussed a lot. Um, I was on, uh, you know, uh, I, I did Kevin Sheehan's podcast like the day or two before we went through the first 19 picks. We both landed on Davis. So it wasn't like some name that was like out of the blue. But okay, there were some other people there that you could have taken. Uh, Christian Darisaw from Virginia Tech was a name that I think a lot of us had thought could potentially be the pick because logically they needed an offensive tackle. Um, that was one. For me, that changed on two fronts. One, when they, when they brought in Eric Flowers like two days before the draft, which I was told wasn't out of the blue. It had been worked on for a while. It just took time to get it done, I guess. But doing that was like, well, wait a minute. I like, like I figured they would still draft another offensive lineman, but like, like now what's happening now you have one more piece that you didn't have before. It made it feel like you didn't have to take an offensive lineman or they felt they weren't going to. Uh, also, as I've said before, Dara saw there was some, you know, less than glowing reports I got from scouts or some other people about him. I mean, he obviously still went 25. So it wasn't like he was like some disaster, but I, I, I moved past him on my own. The other one was Jeremiah Usu Karamoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame. Um, I, uh, uh, Bruce Feldman and I, who, who, was, who was on this episode as well. We talked about that because, uh, because he obviously has a college football guy knows a lot of these guys we talked, he, he was surprised. That, that he that he fell out some other people that were there Kadarius Tony went to pick after the Giants made no logical sense Washington would take him they just signed Curtis Samuel they're kind of the same guy um I, I didn't think they would take cornerback there but I do wonder if Caleb Farley might have been in play for them I, I think they liked his talent I don't know what they thought of him from a medical perspective so those are some names that they could have had ultimately I guess with that in mind or if there's somebody else were you were you were you cool with the actual Jamin Davis pick, or would you have preferred they did something else? No, I liked the pick just fine. I mean, for me, I, I predicted Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa for the last week or so. I would say going into the draft, I think the last mock I did, I had him going there at nineteen. Um, and the guy I said, if, if not him, look out for Jamin Davis. I thought they were going to address linebacker. A couple things on the pick. As far as taking Davis. I think the reason they did that rather than say Darasaw at that spot, maybe less about Darasaw, well, less about the left tackle need. I think they really liked the player. I'm not, I don't get the sense that they're just blowing smoke. Now, you know, teams are always going to say this was our top guy on our board. And they came out and said, uh, this was our top defensive player on our board. And that's like, 
fan porn, you know, fans just love that. They, they love hearing that. I really believe that they thought incredibly highly of this guy. It made a lot of sense to me as we got closer to the draft, everyone that I was asking, everyone I was calling had him moving up boards and, and it just seemed to be completely enamored with him. He had a really good pro day, great measurables. It's pretty productive. You know, Kentucky's defense put up numbers and did some good things, but not a whole lot of athletes to help elevate around him made a hundred tackles and picked off three passes, but I just felt like your head coach is a linebacker. Your defensive coordinator is a linebacker. They spent most of last season complaining about linebacker play. They've been much more positive lately, but I wondered if that was maybe trying to, you know, throw everybody just off a little bit. So I felt like it was linebacker and I didn't know it would be JOK or uh, the, the way they went, you know, and, and in the end, I, I think what they did is they went with a more traditional option, a guy that's, as you said, a three down guy who doesn't have to come off the field and can be the anchor of this defense potentially within the next couple of years. I would have been fine with tackle, but the way that the board fell, it actually worked perfectly for them. Like maybe in hindsight, you'd think, well, they could have gone tackle there, gone Darasaw, and then they could have gotten a Wusu Koromo when they were on the clock later. But I thought by getting Cosme, who fell, that it was actually a great success. Uh, I'd be curious. You know, you never really know how the board's going to fall. So if before the draft you ask them, Ousu Koromoa and Darasaw or Cosme and Davis, you know, what's a better tandem? I think that would be an interesting way to look at it. My guess is just based on the glowing reports that have come out of their, their feelings on Davis. And I don't just mean what they've said publicly, but what I've heard kind of behind the scenes as well. I think they'd go with the two that they got, but uh, that, that was the decision. Do you think the value of tackles good enough that you can wait? What do you have to jump on now? What will you get next round? And, and it worked out, I thought for them. You know, what, what people ask me about the mock draft stuff, um, you know, what I don't, people only ask me about the first round, but what I do is I mock out the first two rounds, not because, I mean, the second round is irrelevant. There's no contest. Nobody gives a crap. I'm not, I'm not putting it online, but I do it because it helps inform me about the first round. Because now when I'm looking at a situation like Washington, yes, there were some linebackers there, but it was also very evident that there were a ton of tackles. Like Sam Cosme, as I was doing my various exercises, I've mentioned him several times. Um, him, Walker Little, Dylan Radins, who was also still there on the board. Um, but because everything I had read or heard for, about whatever, that there was there were targets there. Forget that Usu Koromo was there. That's not relevant. The point is, is there a, is there a several likely candidates? And it, in this case, there was. You can't just say one guy. That If you're just banking on one guy, then you better probably better draft him two rounds earlier than you want because otherwise you can't guarantee that talking about a, a, an op, a options they still had that they i believe they liked dylan radins the north dakota state kid he went like i think two picks after yeah i would have been happy with three tackles at that spot honestly right so so that, that that's important to look at it from that perspective and again i think there were some linebackers that they liked on day two but it felt like there was yeah the the, 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 the tackle difference between the derisaw and a guy like cosby i don't think was that significant based on the way the scouts that i to talk to you saw it so from a value standpoint I think that kind of worked out. Um, we talked about Jamin Davis a bunch in general. Look, he's incredibly athletic. He seems like a nice kid. By the way, when I heard he was a military brat, obviously that's going to be something that Rivera is going to connect to as well. And Rivera really said he, he enjoyed talking to him. Um, and, and by the way, that was one thing that came out of all the interviews we had post with, with the players and Rivera is how many of the players said that, that Washington, they really felt like there was like a personal connection in the pre-draft process. Some of them, uh, I want to say Cosme, and I'm blanking on who else. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But a couple of the guys said that they had a one-on-one -on -one with Rivera, and that was the only coach they spoke to in, in a one-on-one -on -one situ situation. Maybe it was Jamin Davis also. So um, 
So that was interesting that they, they did that in sort of a you know sign of kind of how, how this group is doing things a little bit differently. Um, speaking of which, so in the story that I put up Sunday morning, uh, sort of recapping the overall day or the overall event, like one of the things I had in that story was, you know, the, the, the couple of oddities about the draft. But one thing also was the the lack of Dan Snyder. Every time that they showed Dan Snyder or they showed the the, the 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 team on TV, there was no owner who was always front and center in those rooms, uh, smoking a cigar, things like that. He was not there in the room. And and what I put it out there, put out on, in my story was that basically Rivera. Um, according to somebody familiar with the situation, was updating Snyder before the draft and then as they were going through it. But he was, you know, the, the football people were making the football decisions, which is why I think you saw things like in three consecutive picks, they took a blocking tight end, a safety who, who they only discussed primarily as on special teams, and a uh, long snapper. And, and th- th- that's about as unsexy as you can get. There's no, you know, there was no drafting of the injured former Heisman, tro- uh, former Heisman Trophy runner-up who didn't who the head who the head coach didn't want let alone the Dwayne Haskins stuff and all the other things we've heard about over time so I just thought look I'm not I'm not naive to think that Dan Snyder is you know we're never going to hear from him again because history says that may that'll likely happen but in the moment at least two drafts into the Rivera era two off seasons he is as much as in charge as I can think anybody we've seen who's an actual football person be in the 20 years of Dan Snyder so I agree with that last point. I, I would say, though, that that has happened at the initial portion of, of tenures in the past. You know, I think Mike Shanahan, when he took over first couple of years, did a lot of what he wanted to do. And I think there's plenty of videos, I'm sure, of the war room when Dan Snyder wasn't there. I think even to an extent, Jay Gruden. But uh, except for the except for like the first ten years, Vinny Serrata was there, and the second ten years, Bruce Allen was there, and those totally, people. Totally. No, and, and, even and if Dan I, wasn't, even if Dan wasn't there, they were the proxy, and they, I, you know, I think the way we all looked at them, they are trying to get favor from the owner, and they're going to essentially be there in his voice, thus mucking up the scene. This wasn't that. Rivera is not doesn't seem to be beholden to that, other than you know whatever. So like that that's my that to me is the distinction for now that. There is no weird other person. It is just the football people running the football thing. And Dan Snyder is over there somewhere. No, I think that that we've known that, right? I mean, that that's unequivocal. I mean, there is no Bruce. There is no one being answered to that is a Vinny Serrato figure. That is the owner's right-hand man. It's Ron Rivera at the very top. He answers to Snyder and nobody else. The Marty's answer to him. I mean, that I think, you know, we knew going into the draft. My, my point is just specific to Snyder himself where he has reared his head in the past. When you talk to people and you have after they leave this building is after they struggle, if there's a losing season, if you know the guys that they like don't pan out right away, he might decide that he does have an answer and jump in. And the next thing you know, he's back in the fray after you go five and 11, or you have a couple seven win seasons in a row. So right. I, I, I think Ron Rivera is in a great place. And if he continues to win, I think he'll stay in a great place. The issue in the past has been if, if they have a tough season, but to your point, and it's a, it's a separate conversation, as far as the Bruce Allen figure, the Vinny figure, yeah, that's not a thing, and it's a good thing, I'm sure, because you know you want smart, proven, qualified, good football personnel people to make those decisions. The, the one thing that I didn't make note in my story, which is not a big deal, but you know, the one thing I don't like about this setup, based on historic precedent, 
is the one guy being in charge of both the coach and the front office, because this is a very, these are two different mindsets, right? You know, one is about the now, one is about the future. Now, I don't think Rivera, as far as I can tell, Rivera seems to be pretty logical on both fronts, but he made the comment. So when they traded, it was surprising. I thought when they traded a 20, a fifth round pick in next year's draft, which for a six and a seventh this year, which in and of itself wouldn't be that weird under normal circumstances, except that it is thought to be you want more picks in next year's draft because a lot of people are, um, a lot of people stayed out of this draft because of the, um, you know, but people probably stayed in school because of the college football season was weird and all that. Um, and so they didn't do that. And when Rivera was asked about that, his comment, I don't have the quote in front of me, so apologies, but it's in my story, um, was essentially that, well, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're focusing on the now. And that was very much the answer you would expect from the coach in that circumstance. Now, I don't think, I haven't seen, I didn't see too many other things that were happening that said to me the coach was like, he was, they didn't trade three first round picks for somebody now. He, they didn't do some, you know, they didn't do any kind of moves like that. They, they've been patient by and large um, in free agency as well. They signed guys to some big deals, but nothing out, nothing out of whack. They didn't go oh, oh, terribly hard. So I just think that's interesting. It's something to keep, I was keeping them about back of my mind. And that reminded me of that when he made that comment that it's about the now. That's what I would think the coach would say, not the GM. And he is both right now, essentially. Yeah, I, I think that's a really sharp observation. I mean, look, this is why this is not the best method. This is a better method. This is upgraded as a method. Uh, but it's not the preferred method for me. I mean, there is one way that is most proven to, to succeed in the NFL in terms of pecking order. It's the owner who's bringing in a general manager, who's hiring a head coach, who's picking his quarterback kind of in that order. That's how I would want it. That's how I prefer it. That's how dad did it. <laughs> What's the, the line from Iron Man? That's how I'm going to do it. Uh, they're not doing that. They're going with the coach is the GM is the president outfit. And, you know, with, with certain guys, you've seen Mike Homer get that power, Shanahan get that power, uh, John Gruden types, you know, that has worked. It's an interesting development. I, initially, I was very surprised because while Ron Rivera did get to a Super Bowl, his track record with big time playoff success is not on the same level as some of the other guys I just mentioned. But is it better, in my opinion, than what was happening before with Bruce Allen, who was not, in my opinion, uh, qualified to be essentially a general manager of a football operation. He was a sharp guy who probably should have been running a business side of things. Uh, so I, I like this better, but your point's correct. I mean, look no further than Bill O'Brien. Coaches have a hard time playing general manager because they are trying to win games. That's their job. So to balance winning right now and setting myself up three and five years down the road can be very difficult. Um. We, uh, because uh, Grant was as is, he was kind enough to come on a podcast, but not fully immersed in all the other draft picks. I, I'm not going to force him to give opinions on uh, you know, Derek Foster or the long snapper or anything like that. But I do have a question the here. Cheese man, the are cheese we going to call him the cheese man? I, I I made a cut the cheese joke about how he's going to make the roster because no way Ron's going to cut the cheese and I couldn't stop laughing for like 10 minutes after I, I made that Well, that's joke. actually very funny. Did you get dragged or did people like it? Uh, I put it on Twitter. I, I got responses. Michael Phillips gave me a, a big boo, but he meant that in a fun way. Um, but yeah, by and large, it was it was received in the in the juvenile way it was intended. But I do have a, a, I have a question here from a uh, for, for you from a, a Z Boyer and you can discuss anybody you want. Um, is there a rookie you're especially excited to see someone who could be a top line starter or someone who has a role that's intriguing or someone who could be the next Dorson Boyce? 
It's a great question by Zach Boyer. Uh, so a couple of things on Dorson Boyce. For people that don't know, one of the great fullbacks in recent Washington football team history. In fact, right at the end of like the Mike Sellers era, the last time they used fullbacks, Dorson Boyce was a dude. He was just a huge plotting guy. I mean, he was massive. And he was a training <laughs> he was a training camp invite. And so within a few months after he was released at the end of camp, we started this thing in the media room where someone had to bring in lunch every Friday. And I kind of got this bit going. I thought it'd be fun. And so every Friday, someone had to cook, not order, unless you're Tarek El-Bashir and you would just like go get Taco Bell, but actually cook and provide lunch for everyone in the media room. So we had all kinds of wonderful meals. Some people cheated and had their wives help them, but it was a lot of fun. But we ended up calling it the Dorson Voice Challenge. So perhaps I think it's only right that in the future it becomes the Cheese Man Challenge uh, in, the, in the Friday media room. That's going to be up to you, though. I don't get to make uh, many appearances in that room anymore. Yeah, well, you know, the next time we're all uh, back in a, a room over there, we can discuss that. Um, all right. So, let, but, but, so speaking of the rookies, obviously they drafted ten guys. Um, they add, it looks like they're going to add one undrafted free agent, Jared Patterson, the, all, all, the the highly highly productive running back from Buffalo, who I guess surprisingly went undrafted. And yeah, I I'm really they, surprised, by the way, he didn't get drafted. And I actually love that they grabbed him. Yeah, yeah, I, I I I like that. I mean, really, really, the only position they did not address or a unit at least was quarterback. I mean, the fact that they even went to long cyber, but if you count Patterson as the group, they addressed every other thing, but the quarterback. All right. So that said, they now have a bunch of new players and now I believe it's like 87 or 88 players on uh, who are here. So they have, you know, and Martin Mayhew said, like when I asked a question about, well, could you bring back Ryan Kerrigan? Uh, you know, or, you know, at this point now you did draft a couple of defensive ends. Could you bring back Kerrigan? And he, he punted on mentioning anything about Kerrigan uh, they didn't even include Kerrigan's name in the transcript, even though I asked him. But anyway, uh, he did say that they would expect, at least it's a defensive end, to upgrade and add some vets. And maybe you could imagine they might do that somewhere else because there's players out there. All that said, based on what we have now, I'm curious about like favorite roster battle that, that exists now based on what we just what we just happened. And And I'll just give you a chance to think about it and just say, I think the receiver situation is pretty fascinating. Because one reason I wasn't advocating for it was like, I just thought there was enough lottery tickets around to just let it play out. I mean, here's, who, here's what you have at receiver now. Obviously, McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. I think they're, I think they're safe. Then I, I, you, got, you got Cam Sims. You got Antonio Gandy-Golden. You've got Adam Humphreys. You've got De'Ami Brown, who they just drafted uh, in the third round. He's only, he was the only receiver since, two, since 2000 to have consecutive seasons where he averaged at least 20 yards per catch on real receptions like this guy is a playmaker he's in a mix i just named you six receivers all of which would seem logical to make the team i still have kelvin Harmon. i still have steven sims who you know figure might be on the outs i still have isaiah Wright, and i think i'm even forgetting somebody else here i'm blanking on at the moment i, I think that's a really interesting group i mean six is the general high-end number so it could be less but I would think that I think like I'm intrigued to see how that works because you have a lot of players who I don't know who the third receiver is. I, I, there could be like five or five guys. If you told me they were the third receiver, I wouldn't be totally stunned. So to me, that I think that's the most interesting battle going into um, the, the off the, the practice part of the offseason. Yeah, I like that. I would say that um, at wide receiver, 
you need to be on the field and you need to play. I really believe that. You know, you see so often guys get drafted and they end up busting and not playing. And so much of it to me is opportunities. And I don't just mean, are you active? Are you running routes? Are you targeted? You know, are you being put in positions in a good offense that can throw the football with a decent quarterback to make plays? I think in this offense with a lot of plays around the line of scrimmage to try to get the ball in the hands of pass catchers, let them make some run after they catch um, moves. I think with Ryan Fitzpatrick, they'll be able to do that. My concern, and I'm, I'm as I said, I'm, I'm happy with the Brown pick. My concern is you now essentially can't have all these guys work out. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't take someone if you think that they're a better player. But Antonio Gandy-Golden needs to play football. Cam Sims needs to play and get on the grass. Like those guys, by standing and watching and just learning in the room, that they're going to make some strides in their development, but they got to play. And and with McCorn and Samuel, as good as they are, it's just not going to happen. So I guess that, that competition should create the ability for someone to step forward and maybe make one of those guys better. But I wouldn't have wanted to be Calvin Harmon on the tail end of the ACL rehab this weekend. I wouldn't have wanted to be AGG. And then I'll also say I'm really intrigued by defensive end still. You know, this is a position, obviously, they got addressed. But when you look at the depth chart, with Ryan Anderson gone, and he was a decent run stuffer. I I never really thought he provided a whole lot as a pass rusher, but he did a really good job at times setting the edge and, and stopping the run. And Ryan Kerrigan, unlikely to come back. Montez Sweat and Chase Young play a ton. They don't come off the field a lot, and, and that's good because they may need him to play a lot. James Smith-Williams, a seventh-rounder last year, still around. He flashed at the end of the season. But to your point, I, I would not be surprised if they went and got a veteran. I'm not all that comfortable with the end position behind your starters. Young in his first season, remember, did miss time and played hurt for a few weeks and wasn't the same guy. Sweat, luckily, knock on wood, has been pretty healthy, but I mean, you are one of those two guys missing a handful of games away from me worrying that you don't have enough pass rush off the edge. I don't know necessarily that there's a guy out there that can come in and get you four and a half or five sacks as a third rusher, but I would be looking for someone who could be a specialist in sub packages. You're just kind of standing up or putting his hand in the dirt and pinning his ears back because that's one area just in terms of layering with depth where I'm not sure they have enough. Couldn't agree more. And, not to overly belabor this point. And look, I'm not, I mean, Deami Brown looks like a pretty interesting guy, but like to your point, it's not just a matter of the way I look at it. It's not just a matter of adding talent. You have to maximize all the things. And this is why I kept saying, I don't, I don't really, to me, drafting receiver, there's enough lottery tickets already on the team. Assuming you think Antonio Gandy golden is a total flop or something that I would let that play out. Cause if you had taken the Deami Brown pick, and turn that into either the defensive end that you're talking about, right? You get, I mean, that, that player is going to play. Ryan Kerrigan played good, you know, yeah, decent snaps. snaps again. And, that, yeah. and plus, and plus, what if somebody gets hurt? You know, Chase Young did miss a couple of games or some games last year. And then the other position, like the other question is, like, what's the biggest hole left on the roster? If we put long-term quarterback aside, you know, I they did not address essentially the free safety position. They did draft yeah, the safety, the but I don't think, from what I can tell, Forrest looks more of a special teams guy or, and more if he, in terms of safety. He said he could play both, but he mentioned strong safety first. So right now you're looking at Jeremy Reeves, DeShazer Everett, if we want to say Troy Apke. Um, like they, they don't have a guy that you would definitively say is a is a starter. I think, I think Jeremy Reeves did, did some good things if you look at the PFF numbers. But my sense is even the team doesn't think definitively he's the answer. So look, you can't address everything all the time. 
But if you had drafted a safety in the third round instead of the receiver, I don't know if we're looking at a hole in the roster right now in terms of the lineup. But okay, whatever. That 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 will be my that would be my biggest issue, I guess, in terms of the roster is the is that aspect that um the the, the safety is the one thing I don't know what they have. And then you already have the what what are we doing, Landon Collins thing. So I think a couple of things. The safeties that you named are the safeties that they had late last season, and their defense was playing pretty well, and they're winning football games. I'm sure that they think they can mask deficiencies with some play calling and scheme and get by. They would have loved to upgrade free safety. You and I both know they like Trevon Merrick, and they have plenty of options. It didn't fall that way, and they address other things. As you said, you're not going to fix everything in an offseason. So in the same way where I tell you Kelvin Harmon probably is a guy that this weekend didn't go great for, if you're Jeremy Reed, you should be doing cartwheels as you head to work out on Monday morning. I think there's an opportunity for you. And I thought he actually did play admirably well. I think the Shazer Everett, who's had a hard time staying healthy, mostly a special teams type, an ace on teams. I think when he's gotten a chance to play, he plays fast and physical, and I kind of like his game. That's not to say that as a 16-game starter, you know, he's going to be an elite safety on a first division defense. Um, having said all that, Here's what I also wonder, just kind of thinking out loud. You tell me what you think. I wonder, too, if they want to get Cam Curl and Landon Collins on the field at the same time. I know they're a little bit redundant, better in the box, and we can go round and around on that. But while you don't have a traditional free safety there, Landon Collins is, is not going anywhere. I mean, his contract is pretty massive. He's made it pretty clear via social media whenever he's commented on moving a linebacker. It's not something he's interested in doing. So I think that they may at times in certain looks when they feel like they're going to get an opportunity, whether it's running the football or, or someone not taking a shot, maybe you try to get both those guys out there. I also think Davis can cover to the point where maybe they felt like, okay, we've got a guy in curl. Remember he was in that Rover role before he became a full-time safety after the Collins injury where we can move him around the field, maybe cover some tight ends with him. Now you've got a linebacker who can actually run You go back and watch the tape of Kentucky in Florida and, and Davis running with Kyle Pitts a little bit perhaps that pick made them feel a little bit better about matchups in the secondary and they didn't feel like free was as big of a priority yeah you know for for, for sure I mean yeah I mean like I said Jeremy Reeves I think was, was was decent last year it's just it's sort of like the same thing with Cornelius Lucas he was decent he was solid but you can do better they had left tackle obviously sure. they, had, they, they added Cosme Sam Cosme from Texas in the second round uh, we'll see how that goes. I don't think he's probably realistically in the mix for week one, but we'll see. Maybe he, he develops quickly, qu quicker than I think. But um, but they at least did that. Safety, they just didn't. You can't do everything at all times. I get it. Um, what, I, what I can do, though, is let you get back to focusing on your family, your life, and also your next media takeover. You, you have had... Huh more I, I don't what what what's the next step in, in the grand in the grand paulson takeover uh you've not now that you've gotten gotten here is it to actually be the general manager for a team like could you could could you could you imagine a scenario where the nats call you up before the major league baseball draft and say hey mike rizzo had to duck out for a, for an appointment could you come in and like uh, handle a couple things i they wouldn't do that if they saw my fantasy baseball record right now but i'll just keep that a secret and maybe they'll uh Maybe I could trick them into it. All right. Well, you 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 work on your trickery, uh, Grant. Appreciate it. Everybody, go listen to Grant, of course, on one hundred six seven The Fan, doing the uh, afternoon drive. As you already know this, and uh, congrats again on the baseball gig. And uh, we'll talk. You got it, my guy. Thank you. 
All right. Many thanks to Bruce Feldman and Grant Paulson for their time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Lots more to, to think about with the Washington football team. We've got, I guess I didn't say there'll be a, a rookie mini camp. I think in about t- t- 10 days, two weeks. And then they're in theory going to get into OTAs and have some sort of normalcy. Uh, but we don't exactly know yet what that's going to look like or what we'll be able to see as, as, as media. But hopefully we'll be out there soon enough and, and get a sense of some of these players in person. Uh, we spoke to everybody on the phone the other day, but we haven't had a chance to see them uh, you know, in person or over Zoom, even let alone on the field. So obviously, um, but we'll hopefully get that in the days to come. All right. That's it for now here on the Standing Room Only podcast. Make sure you subscribe uh, on iTunes. If, you, if you're not an athletic person, I would love for you to check it out and of course you can follow me on twitter at ben standing but for now signing off see you